Life ruined it. My wife ruined it. She's ruining everything. Um, welcome to Wages. Soiled it. Soiled it. Soiled it. Soiled it. Soiled it. What is that? SpongeBob. Oh. <laughs> oh, I forgot. You're older than I am. I just. Well, no, it's not that. I just never watched SpongeBob. Soiled it. Soiled it. <laughs> Okay, well, let's go for take three. All right, welcome to the Wages of Cinema. I am Jack. And I'm Andrew. And uh, boy, it's great to see you again, Andrew. It's great to see you, Jack. Oh, that makes me feel nice. Yeah. The way he said you and emphasized that. And the way I said Jack. And the way I said see. Yeah. And the way I said great. Yeah, see, the way you say Jack, you're not like uh, like Bruce Willis in Die Hard 5. Every other word, he would just be like, Jack! 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 Because his son was named Jack. Jack! Or he would say, I'm on vacation! Carl! Yeah, which made no sense because he wasn't on vacation in that movie. He was in Russia. Yeah! Who, he was goes, in Ru who goes to Russia on vacation? Uh, that character... Unless... In, there was a character in Seinfeld who had an, a, a one-woman's erotic journey from Milan to Minsk. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not a vacation, that's a journey. <clears throat> Alright, fair enough. Um... Something I wanted to talk about, though, briefly. Um, so this past week, uh, there was a CinemaCon, which happened. I don't know if you've heard of this. Uh, you know what we need? A wages of CinemaCon? Mmm. I don't know how many people you would get, but we should certainly try it. Uh, well, that way we don't have to buy too many refreshments. All right. Yes. Um, CinemaCon is a... What is CinemaCon? CinemaCon has been taking place since 2011. Not to be confused with CinnamonCon. Yeah, you won't get any Cinnabons. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, basically, um, it it's really involves uh, the National Association of Theater Owners. Also called, and I'm not kidding here, NATO. <laughs> no, was, okay, the okay. acronyms come out as NATO. This is the other NATO. This is the more uh, less... Uh, controversial NATO. This is not Sharknado. <coughs> Give Shark sanction. All right, time. you know what? That I'll allow that. Thank That's you. fine. Um, basically, they um, they get together for a few days, and <laughs> yeah. Hollywood presents a lot of their upcoming films that aren't even their their trailers and their footage from films that aren't even out yet. So, uh, for example, um, this year some of the things that they showed um like they showed like the justice league came uh to CinemaCon this year and they showed new footage is that why we had that new trailer yeah uh, they might have even showed other trailer as well can i stop for a moment uh, i do want to talk a little bit about the justice league oh yeah let's take a dip into that because i saw the trailer too and uh, uh i'm feeling good about it why i feel like with this trailer from what i've seen it seems like everybody's willing to have a lot more fun with everything um maybe a it little doesn't seem to have the same sort of pretensions and heaviness that batman versus superman had here's why and i'm still it worried about like it. there is go there is well, I mean, you have aquaman riding on the batmobile saying yeah you know. No, that was no, that was almost going the other way though, and that felt a little bit like, why is Aquaman doing that? Even if it was a step too far, I feel like it was a step in the right direction. Mm. One issue that I had, I've heard about how um, the uh, the film is going to be almost three hours long. All right. And I'm just 
also the look of the film is still a little uh uh like it, it doesn't Murky. look yeah well it doesn't look like it's taking place in a world that we can recognize everything has like a blue tint to it or sort of a, a, a shiny gray dark feel yeah a little bit it of takes that place too in a few metal corridors and and dark wet streets Yes, yes. I'll give you that. It, it certainly, the environments are not visually inspired. Yeah, like a lot of the, but also just the look of the film, because it has that bluish tint to it, you can't really invest yourself in the reality of that world the way that you can, uh, to an extent at least, in like uh, Civil War or uh, or some of the Marvel films. Civil or... War at least took like, looked like it took place in real locations. Yes. And this took doesn't. place in daylight. Yeah, this seems like it's going to have a lot of CGI. And like that bit with Aquaman just seemed like out of a cartoon. But, um, you know, in the way that like in Batman v Superman, like when Wonder Woman does like her, like flying through the air thing. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like it feels disconnected from rather but uh, I don't know. I mean, I I mean, I did like the exchange. You know, what's your superpower? I'm rich. That I kind seems, of like that. That seems a bit too jokey, but I'll take it for now. Uh, I, I I appreciated uh, you, the deadpanness of Ben Affleck in that moment. Dresses like a bat. I can dig yeah. it. I can dig. See, I would like to see Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne in a slightly different mode this time. Then that son of a bitch brought the war to us. But, think of, but you know, in our own review, of oh no, no, Batman he was the Superman, best thing about it. He is the best Bruce Wayne. He was the best thing about it, and yet the script still held him back for me in a certain way. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, but I mean, the script held everything back in that film. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can give me a jar of piss and call it Granny's Peach Tea. Oh God. Oh, thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah, see, um, but there were a lot of movies that played at CinemaCon. Let me right. bring it back to that. Um, you know, you had, uh, like, they showed new footage from uh, War of the Planet of the Apes, uh, Transformers 5, Despicable Me 3. Oh, Dunkirk. Right. Apparently Dunkirk really wowed uh, NATO at this uh, at this screening. NATO, the National Yes, I know. I'm just making it. Yes. Uh, historically, that doesn't make sense if Dunkirk took place before NATO existed. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just amusing myself. Whenever you say the word <coughs> NATO, people don't think of the National But do I have to say. I know, I know. All right. The theater owners. Okay. Okay. Now, another thing, though, that happened, though, at this, at this uh, CinemaCon, though. Uh, so they show footage and they try to get some hype going for movies. I don't know if the public is allowed there as much. Like it's not like Comic Con. It seems more like a trade convention. A little bit more of a trade convention because again, film is a, in a way it's a, it's an industry. So this is sort of like the industry convention for again people who will put these movies into theaters. But one of the questions that was going on at this convention was. Uh, are we even going to have theaters someday to show these films? Because there's now talk about not so much if, but when uh, studios are going to make movies even more quickly available than they are now, uh, as How far as on, on on demand and streaming. 
Right. And when they do that, the thing is that the theater owners have been very... This has been a point of contention, actually, for at least a few years now. Um, because a lot of independent films or smaller movies, they'll sometimes have what they call a day-and-date release. They might put out film in theaters the same day that they put out films online uh, that people can rent. Um, and outside from that, a lot of the big releases, though, they end up being available... I think usually it's 90 days or three months. That's generally the average now. Sometimes a movie might come out a little bit later. It used to be when I was younger as a kid, it used to be six months um, that you'd have to wait for a movie to come out on video. Um, but now they want to not only make the gap shorter, but they also want to make it so that a new movie will be available on demand and it will be something like $30, $35. Well, the, well, no, but the idea is, let's say if you if you are a family and you know you, you're parents and you might have three kids or four kids or something, you you're, you know, going to the theater might be expensive, so you might almost save money by, uh, just making this one time charge. But then, doesn't that rob the whole movie going experience? Well, it's certainly a different experience. I, but what it seems to me you're talking about is not selling an experience, but saving money. Maybe saving money, yeah. And usually, people like to save money. Well, also the the, the threat right now is that Netflix and um, Amazon, they are even more than just a few years ago. And a few years ago, they were already becoming major players. Now they're a real threat to some studios because you have a lot of films that unless if they're these really big events, uh, people might not come out and see them as much. Now, I, I, I now, now again, is... I'm not saying I'm making this argument myself. These are a lot of arguments that are being made and being kind of quarreled about. And I'm not sure where I lie on it because I, I feel like maybe, maybe there's a lot of different issues at hand. You know, you also have films coming out that are when you just have sequels and remakes and reboots and everything you're obviously people aren't going to come out the way that they did when you had fresh and original ideas i mean the thing we also talked about is a while we back we talked about how hollywood isn't taking the lead in the great sort of expressions of imagination and creativity anymore it's smaller companies it's on-demand distributors like amazon and netflix you the great you know the, the academy award winner for best documentary was a television documentary this yeah. year and you know netflix movies and other things are being considered for oscars and yeah amazon movies uh manchester by the sea got a lot of nominations that was an amazon studios film right and people look for things that they like Big movies are making their money, but there's not a lot of middle ground between the big things and the really small things. Anymore. Yes, well, that's a, that's another major issue. A lot so of a lot of, of those medium pro medium sized projects are going to move to other places if they can't get funding from these bigger studios. Yeah, and in a way, that studio's seeding ground to other projects while they work on their big tentpole films. Now, ultimately, is that going to be sustainable? 
That's now, a good question. I don't have an answer. For no, that, I it's don't a either. Question worth thi- but it's a question mm. that's going to have to be answered in order for us to resolve this problem of whether movie theaters are going to be around for a long time. Yeah. I, because big movies are still raking in the money at the oh, box God, office. Yeah. That's still profitable. People are going out on op- opening weekend. It's... But when, how long is that going to last? Yeah, and it's... How it's, long can how long can the market sustain that scale of production? Yeah. And I and that's what we're going to have to find out before we answer that first question. Yeah, exactly. And I it just... I, I sometimes kind of resent, though, when some of the studios, they are starting to now jump on this idea of, well, we, we're just going to have to... You know, I mean, part of it might be, well, we have to compete. You know, we might have to compete with Netflix and Amazon, so we'll our studio will make our own streaming service. But, but you know, going to the theater is its own experience itself. You're and, right. I'm just saying that in the end, that's not going to matter. Well, but the other thing though too is also just the amount of money that's already been made this year should show that people still are going to the movies and liking it. Like I looked on Box Office Mojo. At just the 2017 grosses, so the past uh, few months so far this year, and combined all uh, U.S. box office is two billion. Right. So that's pretty good. And I just I uh, these studios that are uh, now the, I guess the threat is just if these studios go through with this plan, and like right you know really quickly to start making movies available, uh, stream you know streaming on demand. Um, either right when the movie comes out in theaters or soon after, you know, if that's going to make the theaters close much sooner. Cause again, that's why the theaters are, have this bargain right now with the studios that you got to give us a little bit of time so that we can make some money. Now, again, there could also be an argument made on that side that maybe the theaters, you know, like in a way they, they're kind of making, not making, but they're kind of contributing to, some of this dilution of Hollywood product that if you only have like these kind of movies that people by and large go out and see. And again, I know we're, we're kind of like, maybe you're in a way you can relate to this more because I go to a lot of movies a year, but that's my passion. That's my interest. Some people might just go to the movies three, four times a year. I Maybe, go a yeah. lot more often now that I do this podcast. Yeah, but before you didn't. Not very often. I mean, every once in a while you'd invite me somewhere, and if I was interested, I'd go. But I was one of the people... There was a time when I went three years without going into a movie theater. Three years? Yeah. It wow. was between the first Pirates of the Caribbean film uh-huh. and whenever the hell I went to college. Wow. Yeah. So all those years, there was nothing that you were... Well, Wait. Also, I was a teenager. I didn't have a lot of money... And very little really appealed to me. Wow, so you never saw Spider-Man 2? No. Wow. Okay. I just... Uh... <laughs> I didn't really care about Spider-Man. Okay. Um, well, he doesn't care about you. In the in essence, no. <laughs> I, but think about this. Uh, no, I'm, got... just, I'm just kind of bringing up this topic because, I again, I don't know the answers either. It's a very complicated issue that seems like it's now poised to maybe get more complicated about the the future of the movie going experience itself in theater releases i think we're seeing a lot more homogeny Mm. in terms of business models yeah and when you have everybody doing the same thing that increases the chance 
of a collapse when things go wrong. A, a movie, the- a, a bubble. You could yes. say that could burst. Like the, the 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 new thing going on now with these Disney remakes, that feels like something that could be a bubble that could burst. Yes. I don't know how or when. It, it just it, it kind of shocked me how much money Beauty and the Beast made. I mean, it kind of happened earlier, like in the early two thousands, when there was that sort of fantasy mm. adaptation. Thing oh, after with, Lord of the Rings. After Lord of the Rings, there was the Chronicles of Narnia, and then you know you had Harry Potter, which you know other that, films that nobody saw, like the Golden Compass and Aragon and things like that. Yeah, yeah. and eventually that that went its way. Well, but that's really now, a, fa- a phase. But I mean, we've got a lot of things like we're talking about shared universes. We're talking about Godzilla and King Arthur and uh, King Arthur and DC doing their thing and Marvel doing their thing. It seems like a lot of people are going. It could be that we're heading towards a cinematic universe bubble. Yeah, in th- which that could be a in thing. which when everything goes wrong, only the strongest are going to survive, and everybody else is just going to go by the wayside. Or now, maybe either that's going to be they're going to it's going to happen sooner than later, and then people are going to the studios will be able to recover. Yeah, but, I mean, if it happens much later and it really shows the unprofitability of film theaters, then I don't see good things happening. Yeah, and I, I guess as a film goer, I just, I guess maybe I'm a little greedy because I just think about like, well, how's that gonna affect me? Because I, well, I that, actually, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> and but at the same time too, I I'm just hoping that they, like the studios don't go this route of only doing like a well, we're gonna put out this movie, you know, have to buy it for like thirty bucks because I can I can go a movie for like five dollars if I time it right. Yeah, well, you're lucky. Maybe I am. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't really have a family. The to support. typical person can go to a movie, to go to the movies for fifteen bucks. Yeah, more or less. And I mean, if you're a family of four, thirty-five dollars is going to look pretty good. Mm. And you don't have to buy snacks. No, no. I, again, I can see snacks. that side of it. The cost side. Yeah. Well, it's I just well, it's a similar I, thing. We, you and I both like going to the, to the movie theater. We both like the experience. We want to see that continue. And right now, it's in a, it's in uh, we're, it's in a tumultuous point. Yes, that's a good way to put it. And ultimately, I don't know what's yeah. going to happen. But I just like so the CinemaCon thing just kind of brought that to mind. And uh, and actually, what you were just talking about too with the shared universes thing reminds me back to Justice League, how like Warner Brothers is trying to really trying hard to make this shared universe thing happen and. Uh, Batman v Superman Suicide Squad made money. Actually, they did pretty well. But that was financially. I kind of wonder if at some point, at some time, the critical side will coincide with the box office. And you'll see like a mega bomb like like Fantastic Four again. God. (laughs) Um, Still got to do that for the Dr. Andrew and Dr. Jack case files. Oh, for that one. Okay. You got to do Fanforstic. Fan force stick. Oh God. Um, all right. Making so I just want. Happen. All right. I just wanted to bring that up briefly. Um, Good job, Jack. Thanks. Um, and uh, oh, I wanted to mention uh, because we we talk about it on the show quite a bit. Uh, you know, if you ever have uh, any comments or questions or things you want to mention on about the show or things going on, uh, you could send us an email to wagesofcinema at gmail.com and we're on Facebook and Twitter at the Wages of Cinema Podcast. Um, the reason I bring this up, we uh, got a comment on the Facebook page. Sweet. Uh, 
yeah, let me just uh, bring this up really fast. Uh, you know, as I said, if we, if you give us a comment, then we will uh, read it on air, um, unless if we just run out. We're of time. like radio show announcers. Yeah, <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Come to the Legion Cinema. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, it wasn't that one. Uh, <laughs> no, it. Um, well, somebody just randomly said on when I posted about Logan on face on the wages on the Facebook page, somebody said, what, where's Corey? <laughs> <laughs> so I think Corey is actually getting some, uh, uh, some, some likes going on right now. Yeah. Um, no, but, uh, Oh, I, I, I don't know why I'm not seeing it here on the Facebook page, but, uh, um, Oh, 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 now, now I remember. I'm sorry about that. Also on SoundCloud, you can leave us comments on our SoundCloud, uh, and on the episodes that we post, you know, you can leave comments on, uh, the episodes as we, uh, as you go along. And, uh, somebody left us a comment, I believe on SoundCloud, just pointing out to us, um, that, uh, Susan Hayward in our Backstreet episode was actually a, uh, uh, I guess they were just this person was trying to point out to us all of the accomplishments that uh, Susan Hayward had made. Oh, nice! Yeah, and uh, Hi, Susan Hayward, uh, she was she was the lead in um, in uh, Backstreets. Yes, and she we, and we eventually realized, yeah, she was in Valley of the Dolls, and you know. Oh yeah, Why, a movie things. I still need to see. You're gonna love it. Oh God, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Um, I hope you like Dion Warwick. 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 War Warwick. Screw it. Yeah, I think you're kind of almost not sure what to say right there. No, um, I, I know. I'm just trying to figure out which one sounds right in my head. That's okay, Andrew. We're gonna have to cut out this whole segment. No, 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 no. But um, <laughs> but the point is, this person was just asking about, uh, just mentioning to us Susan Hayward because I think maybe we didn't, maybe we didn't mention enough things about her in the podcast and. Uh, Fortunately, I'm I'm having a little trouble finding the exact Dion comment. Warwick. There we go. Wasn't that I will survive? No. What am I thinking of? Isn't Dion Warwick the disco singer? Wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> oh. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm thinking of the right person. Oh, okay. <laughs> um. Okay, I'm having a little trouble finding this. So, uh, maybe I'll, I'll try and make a correction uh, for whoever sent the message. But thank you very much uh, for letting us know about Susan Hayward. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, but, but another person, now this gives me a segue into talking about some movies I saw in the past uh, since we last recorded. Because um, we talked about Bay Davis and Dead Ringer. And uh, I watched again uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Good. Uh, have you ever seen this movie? No. Okay. Well, someday you should check it out because it is highly entertaining and also a quality film. They're making a miniseries about the movie. It's going on right now. Film. I'm watching it. Good. I know we don't talk really much about TV on this podcast. Because but TV is for chumps. Well, thanks for calling me a chump. Well, no Anytime, one Jack. Thanks for nothing. This away. is the last episode of the week. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
manager and the wages of cinema are death. Goodbye forever. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, this chump is watching Feud right now, which is the... Um, <clears throat> dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Um, actually, dun, dun, dun. the guy last year, Ryan Murphy, who did uh, The People vs. O.J., uh, it was a fictionalized account of the O.J. Simpson trial. Um, he's do, now this like this eight episode miniseries is all about the feud between Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, and in large part about the making of whatever happened to Baby Jane. And uh, the thing about this movie, so do you know much about it? I know that it's a campy classic, very popular with gay people. Uh. <laughs> A little bit. I mean, it was a Certain big hit. segments of the popular. Yeah, well, people who Joan Crawford is especially popular with uh, with gay, gay with uh, the gay uh, community. Uh, why that is? I'm because not... she's kind of masculine, and it's easy to dress. A little as bit. Her. Yeah. Well, also like she's glamorous, but she's also not super feminine. I realized that she was a, a gay icon when uh, a guy con, if you want to call it that. Uh... <laughs> I'm a big fan of portmanteaus. Yeah, I can tell. Uh, several years ago, I saw Johnny Guitar on uh, the big screen. Oh, yeah. Uh, Nicholas Ray movie. It's a really great film. And, yeah, I was... Wait, was Rush Tamblin in that? Or was that somebody else? I no, Well, Sterling Hayden was the main co-star. Oh, never mind. Sorry. But, I mean, he could have been. I Rush don't... Tamblin was in something else. I think he was in, like, Son of a Gun or something. Never mind. No, no, no. Johnny Guitar was Joan Crawford, Sterling Hayden... Uh, Mercedes McCambridge, uh, Ward Bond, uh, Ernest Borgnine. Oh, hey, Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. Um, but no, in that movie, I, when I wasn't seeing that in the theater, there were a lot of gay people in the audience. And they were reacting freely as they wanted to at that movie. And it made it fun. It was, it was a very joyful experience. Cool. Um, but seeing this movie, like, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane is... Uh, I guess in a way it's campy, but it's also kind of terrifying because it's like Sunset Boulevard, but it goes farther. Yeah. Because, like, uh, the Baby J in the title, it's like, it opens when these two sisters are kids and they're both actresses um, made to go on stage. And the girl who's Jane is basically a bitchy brat, but she's told, but like her parents can't really stand up to her because they're kind of wimps. And Joan Crawford, as the little girl, is more of the nice one. She has to try to take care of her sister. And then, but as their career goes on, Jane is the one who doesn't get any success at all, because she basically stinks. And the other sister, um, oh, I'm forgetting her name right now, uh, but she ends up being better, having more of a career. But then, the, as the opening credits go up, uh, you see that the uh, Jane's sister... Uh, got um, hit by a car and is now paralyzed from the waist down for the rest of her life. Um, who hit her? Who can ask? Who knows? Um, uh-huh. Was it Jane? Um, but then most of the movie is when they're older. And Jane is basically now this washed up crazy person who's practically keeping... Uh, Beth Bay Davis. And she's keeping her sister, Joan Crawford, locked in this bedroom for basically all the time uh even though joan crawford is the one with all the money basically supporting uh, oh it's uh was it blanche that's the sister cory in whatever happened to baby jane i think so blanche hudson you're gonna get your fill of cory tonight all right (laughs) yes um 
But no, um, it uh, just go with Blanche. It's okay. All right. You'll edit it out. Betty later. Davis is phenomenal in this film. Oh my God, she. What's great about her acting in this film, she makes this woman Jane into somebody who's very believable, even though she is going over the top so much. Right. Um, and as this scenario is getting weirder and weirder, and Jane is just kind of torturing her sister for. Yeah, it is Blanche. Thank you, Corey. Um, <laughs> correction. Um, you could have just used your computer box right in front of you. Yeah, I could have. I just forgot <laughs> my computer box. <laughs> That's what it's called now. Um, I just... Uh, Robert Aldrich directed it. He also did The Dirty Dozen. Uh, he's done a number of famous films. Oh, yeah. The um, Dirty Dozen. Yeah. And then... Um, and it's just the the way that these two actresses play off of each other. The thing about the show is that it emphasizes how these two women did not get along together at all. Yeah. Like, in fact, they kind of hate each other. Some of this was because the studio wanted to create more drama, like especially like during the making of uh, Baby Jane. Uh, Jack Warner actually told the director, "Look, you gotta try to get these women fighting with each other because otherwise, you know, I it'll be a hit, but this has to be a mega hit." And it ended up being a hit. It was like the most profitable film of 1962. Awesome. And uh, so watching All that again. getting two women to tear <clears throat> each other apart. Yeah. And I just loved seeing that uh, all over again. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So that was. Uh, oh, and also in line with that. And uh, I'll let you talk in just a second. I also watched the movie Mommy Dearest. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of that? I. Now, talking about Notorious Films. Interesting story about this film. Oh, there's a very interesting story about this. I saw... Oh, no, no, but you have one. Okay. You know, AFI would run these lists of top 100 whatever movies. Yeah. And Mommy Dearest would place on these lists. And every time they showed a clip from this movie, it terrified me. (laughs) Well, it's one line especially, right? If you ever know me personally, you'll know I'm a man who does not like yelling. I mean, I do not like being yelled at. I I don't like other people yelling at other people when they're like near near me. Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing. I, I it kind of freaks me out. So when I see this woman screaming at her child, saying "No wire hangers," mm-hmm. that was like the worst thing you could have done to like eleven year old me. <laughs> Oh, you were 11 when you saw that clip? Probably. <laughs> I didn't know that this was even a movie until, like, several years I'm ago. I'm like, I want no part of this. <laughs> now, now I'm an adult man. I can, I, I've can. i gotten over it. I'll probably see this movie soon. Uh, but it's. I'd be curious what you think of it, because... Yeah. Well, it's Faye Dunaway's Joan Crawford. Right. And uh, she is giving it her all. As much as she can. Oh, I, I'll believe it. Oh, yeah. Well, there are a number of scenes in this film that... Well, there's the wire hanger scene where Joan Crawford is flipping out her daughter and, uh, you know, because they're wire hangers. And then that leads into, you know, scrubbing the bathroom floor at, like, three in the morning. Yeah. Um, then there's also uh, when Joan Crawford flips out over um, being told she's box office poison... And this leads to her frantically cutting down her garden in the middle of the night. And, like, and she makes her daughter go, like, and she says, go get the axe. And, <laughs> <laughs> and she 
Then probably the my favorite part of the film, she awkwardly cuts down this little tree in the middle of this garden. This sounds like a Tim Burton film. <laughs> You have to look it up, people. If you go online and check out like Mommy Dearest Garden, just type that in. If you're fine with people yelling. Oh, yeah. man. There's quite a bit. There's some yelling. There's also some very tense moments. Uh, because it's basically about uh, Joan Crawford and her daughter. And, uh, and the, to put it lightly, rocky relationship they had. Because Joan Crawford, like, adopted children. Like, she didn't really have any of her own. And, uh, like, the daughter she adopted, she wanted it to, you know, be, you know, give this child life. But then at the same time, she also didn't want to have the child have be pampered in any way. But this also led to her being an abusive bitch. Yeah. And the thing, though, about this movie, it's bad. I'm just going to actually make that a point here. I think the movie's pretty bad. And this film is another camp classic. Well, yeah. It, it's it also. I would say Baby Jane, though, is a much better film. Well, certainly. Like, it, it's much better made. But Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. either. But yeah. No. <laughs> Coming soon, Andrew presents. I don't know what I'm talking about, but, but I'll talk, talk about, about it anyway. anyway. A new blog from the Wages of Cinema. Where Andrew just you know, you know that could be a lot of fun. Where Andrew, where you review movies where even I, though you haven't seen I them. I talk about movies that I have not seen. You I'm go like, based I'm on. La I'm like Slavoj Žižek. I, I just, I just, I just regurgitate my awesome thoughts. Yes. About, about uh, films I haven't totally seen. Yes, exactly. Um, the thing is, this movie, the first half of it, um, I think Corey and I we watched it together, and she felt very strongly about this even more than me but like the first half has a lot of momentum and a lot more great scenes because that's where like joan crawford's daughter is like this little kid but then she gets sent off to boarding school and immediately the film jumps ahead to when she looks like she's 30 years old even though she's a wow, teenager a long stance time in board no well <laughs> i'm saying the actress looks like she's 30 not Oh, yeah. but um after that though the movie the actress is actually 60 and she's still <laughs> well it's kind teenager. of like well it's it's like uh when we watched that movie the identical and, <laughs> <laughs> and when they cut i was thinking about that movie this week <laughs> when they but when like they they show the uh adult uh well they show the guy who's supposed to be the adult version of the elvis and guy yeah drexel helmsley <laughs> And he's supposed to be a teenager, but he looks like a 40-year-old man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, they, I think they they did their best. That film had some sort of budget, but no way were they convincing us that, that the movie guy had a budget. anywhere. <laughs> but, they, all right, so I'll wrap this up, though, because I've been talking a lot. But Mommy Dearest... It, the problem is also it's a very it's kind of a long movie for what this is. It's like over two hours long, and it just scenes kind of just they they kind of go on and on, and there are some really great campy moments, but there's also a lot of time where you're just like, oh well now this movie's kind of just not really giving me anything to work you, with. You look at your watch. Well, and not you're like. You know, well, not even so much that. It's just I got, like I got places to be. Well, for example, well, Faye Dunaway, as I said, she is really committed in this role. Um, but then, like the the actress that they got for her daughter uh, in the adult version, not so much the kid, but 
as the adult version of her daughter, uh, Christina Crawford, she's terrible. Mm. Like, she is just so bad. This, I think her name is Diana Scarwood, I'm going to say. And, oh my god. Like, whenever she talked, Corey was even harsher than me. She thought she was, like, after last season bad, quote-unquote. But I wouldn't go that far. But, wow. it, but it is the type of thing where you're you're seeing somebody of the caliber of Faye Dunaway up against somebody who should be in community theater at best. Yeah. And also the the other thing that bothered me too, and this is just a small thing that I couldn't help because it's just, I know now things about Joan Crawford from listening to this, uh, this movie podcast called, uh, you must remember this, which really went into Joan Crawford's life. A lot of the facts and things that they put forward just don't make sense. And also tonally the movies messed up. That's what it meant the most. So, for example, Joan Crawford won the Oscar for Mildred Pierce. Okay. And that was actually a, a high point for her. Like, she was felt really good about herself. She got this Oscar. And they have this scene in the film where she wins her Oscar and addresses the public, and it's a nice scene. Literally, the scene after that is the wire hanger scene. <laughs> <laughs> so you go from... Thank Deep you so contrast. much. So thank you so much for this Oscar. I love it so much. No wire hangers ever. <laughs> I hope it's like a smash cut to her being. It almost is. I'm not gonna lie. It's not like they fade. It's not like they go to black and come back up to the film. They just cut from you know this joyous moment to why are all these wire hangers in my dresser? <laughs> oh man. So I would. Man, I have been missing out. I don't know if I would say you should see it, but maybe it's at some point. Uh, <laughs> you've already committed. Um, anything you've seen recently? Yeah. Okay. I saw Peter Jackson's King Kong. Okay. Had you seen it before? No. Okay. So uh, what do you think? I think... I, I like this movie a lot. Yeah, me too. It's... I mean, I, it's not perfect. It's... No, it's not. Uh, there are some weird things about it. But the thing that I enjoy is I think this is how a remake should be considered. You start with the original. Okay. Okay, in some cases this is not a good idea. But if you're going to remake a good movie, you start with the original and you unfold it. Mm -hmm. You look into its dimensions. And this one did a lot of things that I liked. It explored, it fleshed out the characters not just like the main three characters it also gave everybody else a little more personality yeah and while not everybody is as important you could at least remember who was who when they die mm -hmm. <laughs> so you know there's the chinese cook but he's not just like an extra yeah he's playing a part there's you know the kid and the black uh, seaman uh who have a relationship there's the, the actor you know there's the right there's the writer and, you know, some parts are poorly written, but a lot of the action scenes were really well done. The fight with the dinosaur. The fight with the dinosaur is really good. The one that struck me was when they're down, they've fallen off the log oh. into the valley with the bugs. Oh, that was terrifying. That was awesome. Yeah, yes, it was. Everything about that <laughs> sequence is awesome. And it's really good action, too, because you understand where everybody is in that sequence. Yeah. And you understand where everybody else is coming from. Yeah. And the guy who played uh, Baron, uh, wait, what's his name? From Civil War, not Civil War, uh, from Avengers 2. The guy who played Baron Strucker was the sea captain in that. 
Oh, really? Yeah, I recognize him. He's he's got a very distinct accent. Yeah, I've very seen him somewhere look. before too. Yeah, that that guy was all right. Yeah, and I th- I really enjoy Jack Black in this. Yeah, I do too. I have a feeling that the way they've set him up, he is supposed to be almost like something. He is supposed to be derived from an image of Orson Welles. Hmm. I mean, not just that he's a big guy in a fedora, kind of like Orson Welles. I mean, Orson Welles wasn't big back then. So it was a bit of Orson Welles crossed with the uh, Carl Denham yeah. the character. I yeah. feel like they were they drew a lot from that that yeah. idea of who Carl Denham is, and he had a really great line where Adrian Brody doesn't jump off the ship to get off. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. Says, if you really if, loved if, it, if you, you would have jumped. I love the theater, and it's like no, you don't, you don't, Jack. Yeah. If you really love the theater. You would have jumped. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good line. Fantastic. <clears throat> How it feels finally getting to see S-S-K-U-L-L. That's a... It's a bizarre moment. It's still dumb, but when you see it in context, it doesn't feel like it's as dumb. No, I guess not. It just... I don't like that there are scenes like that where they do that sort of like half frame rate. They do that when sl- they when you meet the the, the people on yeah. Skull Island. Fortunately, they do that less and less as they go on. But I don't understand why it's there in the first place. Yeah. Now, also something, and which is really weird because they didn't do anything like that in the Lord of the Rings or any of Peter Jackson's previous movies. I feel like there was some slow motion. There was slow motion, but there wasn't that sort of like frame rate yeah. frames. And I'm, and I'm like, this this doesn't make it look more dramatic. This makes it look cheaper. Yeah. Uh, but I really is this better than the first one? I don't know because the first t- when I saw King Kong with you, yeah. I was really impressed with it, and I'm really captivated by the simplicity and the wonder of that film. Uh, this is a great companion to that. It's a great celebration. That too, of it. yeah. And I really appreciate the fact that Peter Jackson remade a film that he loved, whether we liked it or whether we needed it or not. It's still a great testament to his craftsmanship it's, and his love of the subject matter. It's it's a remake more in line with uh, some of the really good 80s remakes where, like, John Carpenter makes The Thing or David Cronenberg makes The Fly. Well, that's something that he took that and took it in another different direction. But it's somebody who um, wants to expand on something that he loves. It's not something just for... Well, we we're a studio, and we have to have something to fill our quarterly report or whatever the hell. Um, the thing that also impressed me a lot that you didn't touch on was just Kong himself. I feel like emotionally, I probably got more out of Kong and uh, and Darrow than anything in the first film. Where, where in that, obviously, it's more just that she's the damsel in distress. There are things. That, I mean, that's certainly good. It's not one of the things that impressed me. Oh, so I, 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 I really like that a lot. I thought like Naomi Watts was good, and Andy Serkis just really made me feel for Kong so much hmm. in his performance. Uh, just in that whole scene where they're kind of getting to know each other, and he's just kind of messing with her and making yeah. like, you he know, just keeps pushing her down. Yeah, and like <laughs> making fun of her. That was that was kind of a cool scene, but it's a uh, but. Uh, there's so much is it long it could have been a little shorter yeah i mean three hours might be a little much you could i could only say that there are maybe 15 minutes of things that you should that you know you can really afford to cut out and should do it i'd leave it as it is okay 
but uh, I really enjoyed it. I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. Mm. It it was really uh, it was really fun. So at first you thought well, I just gotta get over with this and. Well, I, I wanted to see it because I wanted to listen to a podcast about it. Okay. Uh, so I didn't want to just go in there. Gotcha. Not that, that, not that anything would have been spoiled. No, no, but you like to have that frame of reference. I, I totally get right. that. Uh, speaking of monsters, uh, I saw a film which uh, is technically going to be coming out, I think, after uh, we're recording uh, th in theatrical theaters, but it's played some festivals. Um, it's a film called Colossal. Yeah. Now, this is... So this is this movie and Hathaway and Hathaway. Now, when I I went into this thinking it was going to be something else, and it turned out to be something different, which was both good and not so good. And by that, the thing is, this movie, it's really more of a character study. All right. And it happens to have monsters in it. And by that, I mean that sounds good to me. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> there are good and not so good things for me about it. Well, part of it's just because. Like the movie starts out, and it's Anne Hathaway. She's kind of been a, a screw-up uh, in, in, like, her relationship, and her boyfriend breaks up with her. So she goes back home to, like, the small town in Maine, and... Uh, oh, no, this is a Stephen King film. No, nah, well, almost. But, uh, and she meet and she reconnects with this guy, uh, played by Jason Sudeikis, uh, who owns this bar, and... Um, but then she keeps. But then, oh, as this is happening, and she's trying to adjust back to life, and she also is not. I don't know if she's an alcoholic so much. But she's kind of a drunk, and she drinks a lot, and wakes up and doesn't remember where she was and stuff. She's on a bender. A little bit. Um, she's kind of a screw up. It's again. like the last weekend. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she's seen that. Um, ah! <laughs> no, but uh, but then she wakes up and one morning, and there is apparently a monster that appeared in Seoul, South Korea. It's always in Asia. I know, and uh, and but then she suddenly realizes, wait a minute, I, I'm somehow connected to this monster appearing, and not only that, like there's this weird thing where there's a little playground in town, and if she and if she goes to this playground at a very specific time, and steps into the playground. She will suddenly materialize in South Korea as this giant monster, and then Jason Sudeikis is she still in the playground or is she the monster in Korea? No, well, uh, kind of both. Well, she's in the, she's in the playground, and like she suddenly she like she starts tries to put points together, and somehow is able to time it so when like she does like a hand motion and then checks out the video later on the news and sees that the monster does the exact same hand motions, and it's her. And I, it's very weird how that happens. And then, like, Jason Sudeikis comes into the playground, and he becomes a giant robot. And... This seems like nothing but good. It seems like it should be nothing but good. But tonally, I think that my problem seeing it... And maybe if I saw the movie again, I'd feel differently about it. It almost took itself too seriously. Huh. But then, like... Because, like, it became almost like this drama of, like will between these two characters where Anne Hathaway wants to try to you know because she accidentally goes into a building and you know possibly kills some people and you know she's very guilty about this whereas Jason Sudeikis he's his life he's been more of a screw-up and he just kind of wants to actually mess with things um and so yeah you have like a monster 
not fighting like it, it, as you usually see it, but like smacking like a robot <laughs> and things like that. So at first you think, oh, this is kind of amusing. Is this going to be more of a comedy take on monsters and things like that? But not really. And it, <sighs> Jason Sudeikis is great in the film. He's actually my favorite part of it. I just, I'm not quite sure what to make of it still. Like, and this is after seeing it. I, I would say for you, it, it would be worth checking out, but I, it wasn't what I was expecting, and I'm not sure in a good way, especially eventually where the film leads up, it's climax, it just kind of feels tonally off, it wasn't as, I guess I was just expecting more of a comedy, I was expecting it to be funnier, Right. it was a very, very odd film. Well, this seems like a film we should watch together sometime. Maybe, maybe, yeah, I, I... Again, it, it's you go into it if you think it's going to be just a straight monster movie. It's not that. And the other thing is too, they just they don't explain anything, which wouldn't be a problem. But then they don't really adhere to any rules eventually either, uh, and that just kind of bugged me a little bit. I don't know. Fair enough. Uh, any other things you want to talk about? No. Okay. I think that's it for me. All right. Well, let me go through just a few things I wanted to mention too. Speaking of monsters, um, later that evening after we watched uh, Kong Skull Island, which you can go back and listen to our episode where we talk about it. Uh, I watched The Mighty P. Kingman, uh-huh. which was uh, one of the releases from Quentin Tarantino's Rolling Thunder Pictures uh, back in the 90s, where he found old Grindhouse movies and re-released them. Have you heard anything about this movie? Uh, yes. Good. because uh, it's one. Of, I heard it's one of the best King Kong ripoffs. Ever it is made. the best. It's basically it's a knockoff and it's kind of, it, I would say it's bad, technically, but it's glorious. Good. It's so much fun. It's like, basically, the, this guy the, this guy happens upon the realm of the mighty Peking man. And there's this woman who's this, like, attractive blonde woman. And she's lived a lot of her life with the mighty Peking man because she's been left in this jungle or something after her, like, parents died. And has somehow uh, become friends with the animals. It's almost like a thing out of Roar. <laughs> God, that movie. Um, but it's not a parody, though. Um, I mean, there's a stretch of the... I mean, there is a stretch of the film here uh, where the movie kind of practically stops so that Johnny Fang, who is our main character, um, and he's ideal for exploitation. Uh, and they're literally, he's literally frolicking with our main actress and like doing things like, I'm just going to have this leopard on my shoulders as I frolic around and we fall in love for some reason. Um, also the other thing too, this woman is so scantily clad. I'm not kidding. Like her, one of her breasts is just barely hanging on by a thread <laughs> from being uncovered. And this is a movie for kids. Yeah. And it's so like. Wow, if I saw this when I was a kid, I would feel like I'd grown up somehow by the time it ended. <laughs> um, but I think that like the director, whoever it was, me meant the movie to be sincere. And so if there is tongue-in-cheek, it's kind of so firmly planted, it's wagging outside of its mouth. Right. Um, and this, But this isn't a downside, though. It's a fantastic monster movie. You just have to kind of take it on its stupid terms. I mean, it is fantastically stupid. Like, and also just, you know how sometimes in those Godzilla movies you would see the sets and you'd see the cars and you're like, oh, that looks like toys. No, these really look like toys. 
It looks like they shot it in somebody's bathtub. Nice. And I, but I just, I had a lot of fun watching it. I just would, couldn't recommend it enough. Um, as a bad fun movie, I should say. Um, I also uh, saw Train Spotting Two. You've seen the first one? No. Ooh, that someday you should watch it. I'm a fan, and I think that you if, used to have a giant Train Spotting poster behind you. Yes, in in our kitchen. Uh, I put it in my bedroom. I, I moved some things around, but. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoy Train Spotting. I mean, you have to kind of take it on its terms that it's a it's a movie about criminal scumbags, but they're fun. Um, and especially Robert Carlyle plays this character named uh, Francis Begbie. And, oh, I love this character so much. He's just so, like, unrepentantly a, you know, a, a, a nasty criminal guy. But he's just kind of so much fun to watch because he's so, like unaware of how much of a prick he is mm -hmm. uh very scottish a lot of scottish things about these films um the sequel not as good as the first but i enjoyed it because of the characters and i enjoyed seeing them again there is a good deal of nostalgia because again it's it's taking place 20 years after the first film um but if you like seeing especially the actors fill, are in these roles and they're really still in them, so that's Ewan McGregor and Johnny Lee Miller, uh, Ewan Bremner, um, he was actually in Black Hawk Down, I think. Um, Ewan McGregor was in Black Hawk Down. Yes, he was. They were both in it. That's I was. Well, there was strangely enough. There's a lot of overlap between the casts of Black Hawk Down and Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor. Yeah, Josh Hartnett was in that, wasn't he? Yeah, and back uh, when uh, he Tom was Sizemore and uh, one of the other guys, the guy with kind of goofy looking face. I think I heard somewhere once that Michael Bay secretly really... Like, I think he originally really wanted to direct Black Hawk Down. Oh, jeez. Yeah, no, no. Like, that's really what his passion was. Like, to do, like, a big, brawny, military-type movie like that. And eventually, he finally did get his wish last year. Because yeah. he made that 13 Hours movie. I mean, the thing is, you know, you, you know how I like to get down on Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. But Black Hawk Down is a fantastic movie. Yeah. I love it. And, I, and I'm like, Ridley Scott, you know what you're doing here, clearly. Yeah. I I can't take anything away from this. This is a movie that I watched so many times that when I watched it again a few years, like maybe last year, mm -hmm. I found I realized I remembered so much of it. Yeah. And even like specific lines and delivery. And, and it's such a relentless film. Yeah. That... Uh, no. I, I just I, I, I love that movie. Yeah, and I'm so glad Michael Bay didn't direct it <laughs> because you would have gotten something that would have been so cheesy. You would have had a lot of Michael Bayisms in the film too, like a lot of flag made. waving, yeah, a lot of chest thumping. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it's I mean, a... what can you do? Um, oh, here's a movie I have to bring up to you. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't bring it up. Have I have you heard of this movie called Tickled? I want to see this. Oh, you saw you know what, what I know it is. exactly what you're talking about. Well, I thought of you when I was watching this because I feel like <laughs> no, but you you told me about some documentary on one of the episodes we did uh, where you would watch some documentary about something to do with sex a sex act or something or masturbation. Yeah, that yeah, what was I it watched, called? It was called 
sticky, a self-love story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is much more disturbing than that. So Yeah, from what I've heard. I well, can't get my hands on a copy of it. Well, it's on library. HBO. Well, great. <laughs> Maybe sometime I'll have you over to watch it. Because, well, this movie is, basically, it's... At first, like it's it's this New Zealand filmmaker, you know, was sent, like, the story about, oh, have you heard about this? There are these... Got professional people who, tickling. Yeah, they're people who have professional t- tickling competitions. Well, they're competitions, and they're not. No, they're they're basically <laughs> fetish videos, right? Because there's a there, there's a BDSM element to it. Because people will watch this, and there will be something like where people, you know, like how you have a dominant submissive thing, and somebody has control over another person, and that is a turn on. Even though it's just tickling, it ends up becoming the sexual. thing thing some people have a thing for tickling yeah i didn't really know about this there there is a sort of agony to tickling and when you can tie someone down and tickle them to your heart's content that's a real show of power not for everybody but if you're into that sort of thing it's i i I get it it's you know that's cool but you know this documentary shows you something much darker well the darker part of it is one of the is well not one of but like basically the guy who's in charge kind of running a lot of these videos being filmed that are put online and uh it ends up becoming dark because well this guy like they at first this new zealand filmmaker is threatened to be sued because you, you can't you know like he just by doing a story on this subject or or this or these videos and then this guy tries to find out well what's this company that's making these videos and it ends up leading to um some very very shady characters and also a lot of things involving uh like the 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 people who get recruited for these videos they're all young men and all attractive young men like you wouldn't see like me sure i'm just gonna (laughs) i know how to respond to that that pause was too long jack (laughs) if you saw this documentary you'd see why like Basically, these the you like these young men who ended up they were kind of enticed to come in and just be yeah just you know come in just sit on this bed you're gonna be dress tickled for an this, hour dress up in this wrestling outfit yeah well not, not you know not even that no no they just want to see somebody be tickled and you know well I'll pay you thousands of dollars and it became this thing where some of these men they ended up you know they would ha- they might have other f- ways to get money but then eventually it's just here's I'm just relying on the tickling money. And then this guy was basically using it as blackmail. Like, if you don't keep doing this, if you try to leave, if you don't want to be tickled anymore, I'm going to ruin your life. And it was just crazy. This is is weird to me. Okay. This is fascinating. I want to see this film. Yeah. But the whole setup to me, it seems like this man has a flawed idea because there are plenty of people willing to be consensually tickled for thousands of dollars <laughs> it's like i well well but here, it, again i'm talking about a movie i haven't seen but let me give you my thoughts on this oh you don't say like uh, baby jane no. there we go but i but the thing is like is it like these are the best tickled people ever is it like there's a certain talent to being it's, it's more about the type of men who are tickled. Oh no! And here comes my wife Corey to come over to say something about this movie because she watched this with me. So, what do you want to say about the movie Tickled? I wanted to say that 
the tickling is really secondary to his desire to humiliate, dominate. And yeah, the guy who's involved, who, the guy who's in charge so of this the company. Guy who you, you were the thinking, tickling? you were thinking of the filmmaker. No, 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 no. I mean, definitely like the people producing these tickle the people videos. People producing no. the videos. They don't want the men being tickled and doing the tickling to have like beneficial consensual experiences. They get off on the idea of seducing these men with money and then blackmailing them and abusing that them. That is brilliant and evil. <laughs> oh yeah, there's an evilness in this film. Thank you, Corey. Oh yeah, um, that's that's twisted. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I, and, I completely understand now. Yeah, and... so, so at first what you think is going to be some, oh, this might be a weird little movie looking at this uh, this seemingly harmless fetish that a lot of people don't even really think of as fetish. Because the funny thing is, this is something else I talked about with Corey. You know, t tickling somebody or being tickled, that's something that, you know, you do th that can also cross, you know, you could like tickle like your nephew or something, yeah, or you tickle innocent. family members. It's, it's an innocent act that somehow gets transformed into this. You They've know. weaponized tickling. Yeah, <laughs> they sexually weaponized tickling. Um, but this documentary is fascinating because it, you've it, taken it, tickling and turned yeah. it into evil. In a strange way, it almost reminded me a little bit of this other film that I talked about some years ago called The Jinx. Uh, which was all about this guy Robert Durst, right. who uh, was on like the run for years as this killer, uh, who may have killed people that that's still left to be seen, but probably killed some people, and you know kept getting away with it because of his family's wealth and connections, and so and and in a way like this guy um, who was behind this, uh, his name is ultimately is reveals this guy David D'Amato. Uh, like he didn't kill anybody, at least as far as we know. Um, but yeah, Jack he... hasn't killed anybody. <laughs> yeah, but the way that the expose looks into this guy's life, it ends up becoming more about well, what happens if you have a lot of connections and wealth and people and like law connections and th legal things that can help you get out of jams involving when you blackmail innocent people who are just being tickled in videos. Yeah. So, oh yeah, man, you you would be. I think you would like this movie a lot. And and the other thing too, there's a companion short documentary that HBO put out just recently to, called The Tickle King, where uh, the same filmmakers then chronicled because uh, this dick, this tickled movie played Sundance the and they Tickle played King, some other one of the worst Batman films. <laughs> He Matt didn't, Catania, that was for you. He doesn't even. I actually. You know, it's funny that there's actually a uh, uh, condiment king. No, there, there's like a, there's a Batman villain who's called like the film buff, like the film flam man or something. There's a character who's like, his whole thing involves movies. Matt told me about this, and I was just wow. And apparently, though, he's not a good villain. But anyway, the Tickle King follows when the filmmakers are touring some of their. Uh, some festivals with the movie but the guys who were then also trying to chase after the filmmakers with lawsuits and uh, were blackmailing these innocent people they're now like 
appearing in these uh, film festival screenings, like scribbling down notes furiously and trying to cause disturbances because they don't want the film to somehow get out into the public. They're that guy who hit Roger Ebert with the program. Yeah. <laughs> like, these people who are just... This whole power thing involving Here's the tickling. Thing. You cannot be this fiendishly evil out in the open. <laughs> no. No, you can't. Um, I mean, I, I understand your power play here, gentlemen, but you've got to be realistic about it eventually. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, if you have HBO On Demand or HBO Go, uh, no. check it out. Hopefully it comes to DVD. If not, you can get a friend. I don't want to buy things. Who wants to do that? Um, Shaw. <laughs> Shaw. <laughs> Thank you, Keanu Reeves. Um, <laughs> Sandwiches. <clears throat> oh, one last thing that I want to bring up. Um, a fun little samurai movie called Three Outlaw Samurai. Um, I, just rec I just mentioned this because... Of all things, I heard about this movie. It's a 60s samurai black and white movie. All because of an article I read about The Last Jedi. Uh-huh. And how this is apparently one of the major influences on that film. Okay. And it's all about the... Due to the sword fighting. And if the sword fighting in Last Jedi is, is, is anywhere near as good as the sword play in this film, we might have some of the best sword play of any uh, Star Wars movie. Because this movie is fantastic as far as being this, uh, it's basically a tough, no punches pulled story of like government corruption and like a town that's being overruled by like this fiendish guy um, who like in its way it's like a story of class where like the guy who has all the power is making things bad for the peasants, and then these the three outlaw samurai of the title come in and try to save things. Um, and, uh, the action of this movie is just incredible. I just, I, it's it shot really well just because it's not the type of thing where sometimes in movies today you get a lot of movies with a lot of fast cuts. Here, the you get a lot of time to see how, when people really are moving towards one another, uh, or trying to decide how they're going to fight people, you really see a lot of decision going on and a lot of, uh, of the thought process of, all right, now I'm going to move like this. I have to do this. Um, I don't know if I'm making it sound exciting at all, but, uh, well, you, you have samurai film, well thought out sword play, 1960s black and white. That, yes. That's you, you checked off three out of four. The way I would say it, it's, it's not only, it's only 93 minutes long. So also it doesn't overstay its welcome, but also it's a samurai movie made by people who love samurai movies for samurai movie fans. Um, like it's very hard and cold and grisly, but the hopelessness and the feeling that like any one of our main samurai could die adds another level to it. Like there's a lot of threat and suspense in the film as far as what's going to happen with our main characters and how some of their allegiances change. Um, and it's just a badass movie. I, I just had to mention this, uh, on mic so that people know, like if you want to, get hopefully a sense of where last jedi is going to go action wise uh check out three outlaws go to the moon to the moon all right so anyway uh so that's just some movies i wanted to mention and uh in this segment here uh, when we come back uh we are going to return with our 
What the Devil Is That series. And yep. boy, this week we're going to we, record it right after this. Yes, right after this ends. So the minute after it ends, we're going to record this. The second after this ends. Oh yeah, no break. Stay tuned. Whatever happened to Baby Jane? She could dance, she could sing, make the biggest theater ring. Jane could do most anything. Whatever happened to Baby Jane? Whatever happened to Baby Jane? When she'd walk down the street, all the world was lying at her feet. There was no one half as sweet. Whatever happened? 